Welcome to Inspiration and Adaptation, um, Bunnell Street Art Center's weekly podcast, which began in March of this year with the pandemic, social unrest, and isolation. These weekly dialogues aim to illuminate current issues and empower audiences across Alaska and beyond with creative strategies for maneuvering challenging times. I'm Asia Freeman, Artistic Director of Bunnell Street Art Center and a lifelong visitor to the traditional lands of the Danina and Supiak people on Kajimak, the original name, the Supiak name for Kajimak Bay. I'm very pleased to have all of you with us, and most especially to introduce our featured guests today, the painter Kes Woodward and the poet Aaron Hollowell. Welcome to you both, and welcome to everybody joining us. Aaron Coughlin Hollowell is a poet and writer based in Homer. A Rasmussen Fellow and author of three books of poetry, she is also Executive Director of Story Knife Writers Residency and Director of the Ketchumac Bay Writers Conference. Welcome, Erin. Kessler, or Kess Woodward, as we prefer to call him, is an Alaska artist, art historian, and curator known for his colorful paintings of northern landscapes a professor emeritus at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Kess was awarded the first Alaska Governor's Award for Lifetime Achievement in the Arts in 2004. Welcome, Kess. Thank you for having us. So today we'll explore studio process and a bit of contextual framework for what and why these artists make what they do and where they're headed. Let's begin with just an orientation to your studios, your space and your context. Um, I'm going to invite um, Aaron to start us out just um, describing a little bit about what your life and your daily routine has been like in these past six months. Well, I'm lucky enough to still have uh, two jobs. <laughs> so my life has been a lot of pivoting and figuring out how to make things work with my new with my jobs, but um, you can see here I am in my office, which is where I work and do my real work, which is writing. Um, and uh, I'm trying to stick with my routines. So I get up early in the morning and I do yoga and I meditate and then I get to the desk and I write. Um, and that's how I'm coping is getting outside for long walks and um and writing and reading a lot mm. and tell us a little bit about the projects that you've been working on sure do you when do you want the slideshow i want, want it anytime now? you're ready <laughs> i'll do it then i'll do it right now hang on here Okay, one sec. There we go. Um, so I'm hoping you can all see my screen now. One of the, the ways, one of my practices is uh, I take a lot of photographs and uh, this one is of the crows on Bishop's Beach, which I spend a lot of time um, talking to in a kind of probably pathological fashion. <laughs> um, so uh, I wanted to start out with that because this year I started um, editing a new, a new um, collection that I wrote 
starting on my birthday last year through uh, the end of the year. Um, 54 poems for 54 years, each poem with 54 syllables. And it's called Corvus and Crater, which was, that was before COVID. So <laughs> I might have to spend a lot of time explaining that it's Corvus. Uh, and Corvus and Crater are two constellations that we see in this hemisphere in, in January. Um, you can see here, uh, I, every morning I got up and I wrote six lines of nine syllables each on little slips of paper, little slips of paper, 54 of them. So I knew how many I had to do. Um, and, uh, and here's the first one. Uh, you see how this looks a little different than they did on the paper. This has a uh, different lineation, but it's, they're the same poems. Roadside prophet, hagstones and feathers rattle you along until evening. You find your tree, birch, spruce, or alder, and thereon perch, or curl into wild rose or raspberry thicket. Tell us, who loves the keyhole over the key? This was the first poem I wrote in the series. Um, and I had six, uh, this, is, this is all to just keep me writing. I had six topics, tree, crow, um, just, and several others. And each morning I would pick a topic and write a poem. Uh, so um, that's what it looked like in February. Um, after I printed them all out and you can see I hang them on my bookshelves uh, and uh, it that allows me to step back but you can see they're all about the same length they're all those six lines nine syllables um, and this allows me to move them around so that they talk to one another much like when you hang a an exhibit of art in a in an exhibit space, you look to see how the different pieces are having a conversation together. Um, you do the same thing with the poetry manuscript. You look to see how the different poems are having conversations with one another. Um, and I live with it for about a month like this. I move them back and forth. And this is when COVID really started to come down and we started not being able to go anywhere and uh, do anything with other people. So I was in this room a lot with these poems and I would just take out my pencil and make edits on them and move them around and take little snapshots of them just to, just to see what it felt like. Um, uh, that's the full moon this springtime. I got a really great shot of it. <laughs> I, I, uh, I use a hashtag apprentice to light because I pay attention to the light that that's a conscious um, choice for me. And this is the poem that goes with that full moon charts curled up at the edges. Full moon rising through Eridanus, full boy long smoldered into story who names the stars pins legends to them. Her mouth puddles with incarnation, wren flicker through alderwood leaf drift, spider winds, ruins, bright rehearsal. And so you might start to see some themes here, like who gets to tell the story, whose story gets told. Um, you know, 
I think we're all wrestling with that right now. This is during um, talking about Black Lives Matter and understanding indigenous, you know, understanding our roles as colonizers on indigenous property. It starts to show up in different ways. And so this, you'll see that like the moon and then things, things attach themselves. Um, this is for Cass. Um, this is, uh, <laughs> um, these are the birch trees behind my house. I have some birch trees in my yard. Uh, they were, they were uh, hidden and uh, I had to do some, uh, some hiking up the hill and found some of these, this wonderful little grove of birch trees. Uh, and it inspired this poem, which is uh, in Orion Magazine. This was the first poem of this collection to get published. Um, and uh, and Orion, <laughs> Orion Magazine is my New Yorker. Like, you know, some people are like, I just always wanted to get published in the New Yorker. Well, I just always wanted to get published in Orion. So this is a... I have like six copies stacked on my desk to send to everybody in my family. <laughs> uh, choir Hive. Against white sky, the birch tree opens its many dark mouths. She hears its words, golden river under snow, secret honey. Clapper of vein scribed marble, that bell rings each full moon, now waning now feeding the mountain underneath. Um, and uh, you'll notice there's a she in these poems instead of an I, because I just got tired of writing about myself. So that's maybe part of what my process is right now too, is um, now that this manuscript's done is looking for the next hook that will put me um, into looking at uh, what comes next. And it's not going to be me, just me. I'm tired of writing about me. Uh, and I think, oh, and I put this one in here because this has been the most popular post I've put on Facebook in a long time. This is, <laughs> this is a cottonwood leaf. And I was walking the dog and I was like, that's incredible. I picked it up and brought it in the house and put it on the kitchen table and took a picture of it. And people were like, you need to publish that. <laughs> it's on my kitchen table. So um that's that's kind of where i'm at these days and uh i'm starting a new project and i don't know what it's going to be but i need to decide because i'm going to start it on my birthday and that's sunday oh wow and you and you take such beautiful photographs erin I've, I've been admiring them you know you're you're often sharing them and i was wondering about about your photography and your gardening and how that kind of fits into this kind of daily ritual and structure that that you create yeah I'm not very far from my camera at any given time um uh I'm not sure why I don't I don't usually use my phone camera very often I, I actually have a camera with me a lot um mostly because I maybe because I can't believe I live here and I can't believe it's so incredible outside all the time. They're almost always photographs of outside, um, but also to make me pay attention. Um, sometimes it's about screening out everything else and focusing on what you want, you know, what you're in, what's in the viewfinder. Um, so and I like guard. 
Yeah. So you're saying that photography in a way is like a way of sort of narrowing your focus and kind of bringing yeah. you into that moment. Yeah. That makes and sense. it's also, I think, a way of framing. So I, when I teach writing, I tell the, the students, you know, you only have to, to describe what's in this little tiny space. You don't have to tell the whole story at one time. You can look at this little tiny space and describe that. Um, because that's the way we see is the little tiny space, not the whole story. So um, that's what a viewfinder on a camera does for me. And I, I'm more comfortable outside and in this room than any other place in the world. Um, so I spend a lot of time in the garden and a lot of time, I live right next to a, a cut up, up to the back of the bench and I spend a lot of time hiking on that property um, or just sitting on that property. Um, that's, that's part of what, what my life is. I'm not a runner. I'm not a cross country skier, but I'm a, a watcher and a walker. And you just recently had a beautiful poem published in Orion, which mm -hmm. um, I'd love for you to share with us if you would read Wait, that. I did. Oh, oh, that's right. That's, that is the one. Right. That's so awesome. <laughs> Gosh, I'm just, I told you I get excited and, and, and totally distracted like a little um, corvid myself in this program. Thank you so much for sharing. So I just want to, um, you know, invite conversation and, and questions from anybody who might be joining us. If, if you have one for Aaron, please feel free to, to chime in and, um, and interrupt me. Um, or I will shift over to um, Cass Woodward, who um, is, a, is a real inspiration, I know, to Aaron and to myself, um, painter who we see in his studio today. So Cass, um, perhaps you would um, share with us a little bit more about um, what you've been up to lately in the last six months and give us a little studio tour. You bet. I'll do the same thing. I'm, I'm in my studio. This is a, a studio which I built. I had built um, uh, eight years ago and uh, it functions as my gallery and my painting space and my, um, and my refuge in all ways. And uh, I'm, I'm a boring grind. I, before the pandemic and after the pandemic, if I am not in Zoom meetings, um, this is one of three I'll be in today. Um, then I just come to my studio first thing in the morning, and I and I go to work. Uh, and I never know until I get here what I'm going to be painting. Uh, but I only ever work on one painting at a time. There's a big painting behind me here that I put up just for the show today. That's normally the wall that I paint on. And it always stays blank and, when, and has, a, has a new canvas on it as soon as the last one is finished. Um, I spend a lot of time um, on not-for-profit boards, um, being a juror for all sorts of competitions and fellowships and artist relief grants and, and things of that sort. But when I'm not doing those things, I'm, I'm here in my studio working. Um, I, I'd like to show you the um, things I've worked on, which this was, uh, I gotta get back to, uh, It's such a beautiful space and it's such an orderly studio, Cass. I admire that so much. 
It's the first thing everybody says when they uh, when they see my studio um, is how orderly it is. Let's see, here we go. Okay, do you see a painting there? We do. <laughs> okay, this is the first painting I did during the pandemic. Um, I had been working on um, very large paintings that were sort of about climate change. It's about um, about uh, shrinking glaciers, and I'd been doing a bunch of large paintings during the winter that were my attempt to grapple with the, the big question of climate change. And pandemic came around and was just starting, and in early March, I did this painting, which in retrospect seems to uh, speak to my unsettledness at the time. It's called Liminal, which is just kind of a time of transition. It's a threshold between one thing and another. And, and I felt even then that we were, we were entering such a period. And as Erin said about her work, um, my work is a lot about light. It's about light in the north, a particular kind of light that we have here in interior Alaska. And light is a metaphor for lots of things. Um, I, I should say that I could never try to paint about climate change or about the pandemic or even about birch trees. I just, um, I, I just come to my studio and work. And for such a controlled person who is always very orderly and knows exactly what he wants to do, I have almost no control over what I, what I paint. Uh, all I can do is come to my studio and go to work and whatever happens, happens. And when I finish a painting, I sit back and I say, huh, now what was that about? And that's when the title comes to me and that's when I realize what it was about. So this was my first painting during the pandemic. Um, as things got a little tougher, <laughs> this, this very um, uh, dramatic cloud kind of came into the next painting. This is a this is a painting called Threshold, a 30 by 40 inch painting, and um, I, I had planned to have a, a blue sky in this painting, and and this this big purple bruise of a cloud came came um, forcing its way in from the outside as I as I looked up to the sky, and then as things settled in in the pandemic, I think that I again. Purely in retrospect, I have, I tried to just come to my studio and paint whatever I felt called to paint. And it's only when I look back at them that I see <clears throat> that nearly everything I've done has been kind of a response to my feelings about, about this time. This one's called Whisper. And it's a, it's a birch tree and a spruce tree. And it wasn't until I had uh, done it and with the light I call these my epiphany paintings where where the light is kind of coming up and boring its way through the the foreground trees um, directly into my eyes it wasn't until I had finished this painting that I thought about how these two trees were kind of social distancing <laughs> uh, this is called eventide um, it's a another epiphany painting but um, a little more somber, um, things really heating up in the pandemic. Again, I see all this in retrospect. I didn't see it at the time. Um, 
uh, still a lot of snow on the trees in, in Fairbanks. I'm usually painting out of season. I'm usually painting winter in the spring and spring in the summer and fall all year round. But um, this painting was very much about the light in March. This painting is, <laughs> is called The Buried Giant, which probably doesn't make any sense to anyone, but um, that's the title of a book that I love uh, by Nobel Prize winning writer uh, Kazuo Ishiguro. And like all of his work, it's about uh, memory and the unreliability of memory and basically how, what we tell ourselves to make what we've done in our lives and how we think about it uh, something that we can live with. And uh, in that novel, there is this mist over all of England that King Arthur and Merlin have conjured up to uh, make people be able to live together by forgetting the wrongs that they've done to one another. And, um, and this was really just a painting of the top of, a, of an aspen tree in my yard, but uh, this mist started rising and it's, so I thought, well, that's kind of like the very giant. And Cass, are these oil paintings? They are acrylics. I go back and forth between oil and acrylic, but I think all the ones that I've done since March have, have been acrylic paintings. Yeah. Um, this is a three foot square painting called um, Summer Night. And um, again, uh, uh, a lot more spruces in these paintings. I, I think because they're darker, because they're more dramatic, I think maybe that was an unconscious choice during these last several months to focus more on the darkness of the spruce and the way it plays with the light than on the bright, brilliant, um, and colorful bark of the birches themselves. Do you take photographs to help you with these amazing likenesses or how do you? You know, when Erin was talking about her photographs and you were talking about her photographs, I, I so, if, you, if you're not friends with Aaron on Facebook and Instagram, you should be just to see her photographs. I'm a terrible photographer and I don't carry a camera. I do carry my iPhone and I take snapshots, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm really a terrible photographer. I don't have the patience to be a photographer. Um, I do take really terrible snapshots that I use for reference and I use those photographs for reference when the scene that I'm painting is something that I think people will recognize and, and I want to get it right. So if I paint Denali, um, <laughs> I want to get all the peaks in the right place. Uh, this is a scene on the, uh, on the Tanana River just outside Fairbanks on the winter solstice with uh, a bluff, a dramatic bluff that uh, anybody in, who lives in Fairbanks and has ever driven down Chena Pump Road and up over Chena Ridge Road would recognize him. It's an image I've wanted to paint for years, and I used to ice fish for burbot right at the foot of that bluff, and um, somehow this seemed to be the time to do it. I went to my studio one day and I thought, ah, I need to, I need to paint that. So if you only work on one painting at a time, how, how long do you kind of typically work on a painting? How does that, how does that unfold? It varies partly on size. I paint every size from five by seven inches to five by seven feet. And the five, the, mostly these days, the four by five footers are my large size. And, and those take a couple of weeks um, for the most part working 
most of the day, every day, and often long into the night. Um, smaller paintings, this one called Canticle is a 16 by 20 inch painting. And I spend um, a lot of time getting started and then a lot of time uh, sort of working it up and then a lot more time trying to fight it to a finish. I, I feel like every time I start a painting, I think this is gonna be the best painting I've ever done. And every time I finish a painting, I look at it and I think, huh, I bet if I could start that over again, I could do it right. Um, so um, it, it varies anywhere from a couple of days to a couple of weeks if I'm able to, to keep at it. And with a painting like Canticle, do you work back and forth between the figure of the trees and the ground of like the sky or do you establish that ground first? How do you that's, a, that's a good question. And that, that, the answer to that always surprises people. In every single painting that I'm gonna show you and nearly every painting I do, <clears throat> the foreground is painted first and the sky comes after. Um, what, what I do is I, I put in that, that foreground image um, very loosely often, and then I come back in and I, and I sharpen it up in, uh, with, a, with a real thin liner brush, sometimes even making what Dorley calls squiggles, little lines around the different parts of it to not, not create detail, but create actually more abstraction, but a kind of sharpness. And then I paint the back, I paint the, the light over it because I want the light to be uh, enveloping the scene rather mm -hmm. than be behind the scene. And that's the only way I, I know to do it. Mm -hmm. This is called orison, which is a, a word for a kind of fervent prayer. Again, um, looking back very much in response to not just the pandemic, but the struggle for me during these last several months <coughs> has been much more with the state of the country than, than, uh, than the pandemic itself. The pandemic almost seems beside the point to me right now, given all of the social unrest that's going on and, and how dismayed I am by, by what's going on in our, in our country and to a larger extent in the world. And so those two things, the pandemic and, the, uh, and my, my just growing despair about the country have conspired and collaborated to create things where, where I need to be sending up prayers uh, towards the clouds, I guess. That's, I think this was not uh, an image that I planned on when I started it, but, uh, but that's what it turned into. When I do a big painting, I find myself um, wanting to do some small paintings. And so I did a series of four small eight by 10 images um, and uh, and these are the four paintings that came next and then this is the kind of the one of the next to last paintings that i did this is the most challenging disturbing painting that i've done in a long time all of all of my despair over what's going on in the country um, kind of came down on me as i did a lot of um, a term that I just learned, doom scrolling. Um, I, I can't seem to quit reading um, uh, news stories that make me more and more angry and sad. And uh, so I started this big four by five foot painting that's behind me here in the studio now. 
<clears throat> and um, and it was going to be just this very peaceful sky <laughs> with uh, behind these spruce trees, um, looking out towards the distant horizon. And it it kind of went crazy. And um, I had a harder time with this painting than anything I've done in a long time. I was so close to throwing it away and starting over. Um, for the last 10 days that I worked on it over and over and over. And it wasn't until like 12 hours before I finished it that it started to fall into place. And it's been interesting. I, I put it up on my website and I've gotten lots of comments about some people find it uh, highly disturbing and some people find it hopeful. Um, it, for me, was just a, a true a remarkably accurate um, reflection of, of the depths of my tumult. And so that's what I, that's what I called it was tumult. So it looks like the light is really complex here. Is that what you kept working with that kind of passage from the. Yeah. I just started throwing in all these, all these bright colors in the sky that were to, to try to respond to what I was feeling. And it just, it really got out of control in a hurry. And <clears throat> that, that sort of pillar of light that's coming up in the bottom looked an awful lot like a mushroom cloud for, for a, about a week. <laughs> it was, and I, I had to tone that down and uh, things were really garish. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It, uh, it, it really just took over. And I don't know that it was therapeutic doing it, but it uh, was very much a reflection of, uh, of really a, a low ebb in terms of my despair. Um, uh, and, and I finished it just a, just a couple of weeks ago. And then the last two paintings, I'm, spending, I'm taking a lot of time here. The last two paintings I've done are sort of a, a return to quiet. Maybe they're, maybe they're my effort to calm down. Um, <laughs> this one is called Vespers. You'll notice there are a lot of there are a lot of sort of um, spiritual um, titles here. Again, the titles always come after the paintings. Um, Vespers is evening prayer, of course, and Canticle is a is a kind of prayer of praise, and Orison is a, a prayer of desperation. Um, and so uh, this was this is looking out from our neighborhood, and that little bump on the horizon there. Is, uh, is Denali, 135 miles away. And then this is the last painting that I just finished. I looked up one, one evening last week, or not last week, but a couple of weeks ago, and um, it was dark enough for the first time in months to see the stars. And, um, and I was so charmed and delighted and, and overwhelmed with getting to see the stars again here in interior Alaska. We have months and months where, where you can't see the stars. It, it just killed me that I couldn't see that new comet that uh, everybody in the lower 48 was seeing and taking pictures of. And so I looked up and I saw the stars and, and this painting is called Welcome. It's about welcoming back the darkness. Uh, I, my least favorite season of the year is summer. I, I love the fall and uh, it's brief but brilliant here in Fairbanks and, and winter is my favorite. Um, and, uh, and so this is about welcoming back the darkness and as always about the light. Mm. Beautiful.
Thank you so much. You bet. <laughs> wow. So I'm curious to know if, um, I mean, it feels like for both of you, this studio is such a, a, such a sanctuary and a place of, um, of kind of, I, I want to say like a, a place of orchestration or control, you know, over what we can. Um, Tell me about um, tell me about any silver linings that you found. I'm going to invite you, Aaron, to start us out with, in terms of your studio process and what it offers you. How essential has it been to maintaining your you know your well being? And um, I it was interesting when Kess was talking about um, uh, not titling paintings until they are done, till you step back and then you're like oh that's what it's about um, because i feel the same way about my writing practice i um i write every morning uh a couple different ways um i read and then respond i have a response journal i keep so it's often about uh, about the world but also about what i've been reading um and then i um read poetry and I write poetry in response to that. And I, I know that without that practice, I would be falling apart because I don't know what, I don't know what I think until I write it and then read it. And sometimes I don't know what I think until I write it and then read it like five days later. And then I'm like, oh okay that's that's what this is about or um that because i'm not censoring myself when i write in my journal it's not like writing for production it's just me trying to see things in a more um in a more focused fashion so i really am uh i, I have to do that or um, there are so many things going on. Like Kess said, it's not just the pandemic. It's not just social unrest and 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 coming to to wrangle with our history as a nation and climate change. It's all of those things. Um, and so I. I need that place to wrangle with that or I become overwhelmed with it and can't move forward. Um, so that's what, I mean, I need my studio space to be safe for me because I need to be able to be perfectly honest on that page. So there's a certain space then for sort of managing the anxiety that is real about the studio process. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What about for you, Cass, in terms of, um, you know, the, the silver lining of the, of these times and the, I don't know if it's an increased amount of studio time that you're spending, but just what you're finding in that studio space as far as um, self-awareness and clarifying, you know, attention. My studio space really is uh, a fortress of solitude for me. I, I come in here every morning and I, and I work all day. And, uh, and 
it's I'm I'm completely alone. Um, the, uh, the the things that have kept me sane during the pandemic and during this crazy time in the world um, have been uh, being home with Dorling um, and and the fact that we have been able to continue running. We run at least six miles um, three mornings a week with uh, up to a half dozen friends. Uh, they, they used to come in the house when they got here, but now they come to the back driveway and, and we run out of our back driveway on the endless trails that lead from our back door. Um, and, uh, and then we come back and we, stand around in the driveway and we have coffee and treats and being able to visit with friends has been a tremendous comfort to me. The other silver lining for the pandemic, I guess, has been that instead of going off to exotic places this summer or um, leaving every six weeks or less to go see my son and, my, and his wife and my granddaughter, down in Snohomish, Washington, I've, I've had to stay home. It's been longer s since I've been on a plane than any time in the last 40 years. And so Dorley and I have been, we have a little Volkswagen camper and um, we've been taking two to three day trips to uh, a lot of the back roads that we've never explored because we, we haven't paid enough attention to home. And so we've driven all over interior Alaska between here, between uh, way up on the, the, uh, the Dalton Highway towards the Brooks Range and, and down to near Anchorage and Hatcher Pass. Um, and we've found new places to hike and a new appreciation for home. So that's been, that's been a comfort for me. One of our viewers said that your last painting almost had this quality of like a cardiogram you know, electrocardiogram, like a sense of your pulse. I, I love that. I, I, I saw that Rika put that in the chat and, um, and I had not thought of that at all. I put that image up on Instagram. I almost never put my artwork on Facebook, but, uh, but I, I used Instagram to, to post some of it. And, and somebody else said that it looked to her like, um, like a, an audio recording. Um, mm -hmm. and a of either of those things but um, you know I always say that artists don't know any more about what they do and sometimes less about what they do than anybody else um, you know you just go and do the work but the work then becomes what matters and um, and so it's wonderful for me when uh, somebody says something and and I can see it in a whole new way so what does the work teach you about yourself that, that, that just becomes apparent, you know, like in hindsight? I'll start with you, Kess, and then maybe shift back to Aaron. That's, now that's an interesting question. Um, I think it teaches me uh, not to think so much about myself. Um, it's really hard, as, as Aaron said, when when about writing poetry for her um not to think about yourself um i in the uh making art for me gets me outside my head and 
um, this will seem very odd to a lot of people, but uh, I listen to books on tape as I paint. Um, and I can listen to the, the most interesting, challenging novel or even a, um, even a, uh, a nonfiction book. And it not only doesn't interfere with my painting, but it, it sort of occupies the part of my mind that I need to get out of the way in order to paint. And so I do a lot of reading through audiobooks um, in the course of paintings. I feel really lucky that what I do enables me to, to be able to do that. And I'm sure that what I'm listening to comes into my work. Um, oddly enough, what I can't do at all, I can't paint while I'm on a conference call um, where I have to participate. Um, and if somebody's in the studio, I, I can't talk to them. I, I can't paint and talk at the same time. Evidently, talking uses the same part of my brain that I paint with, but uh, listening uses the part of my brain that I need to get out of the way so I can paint. <laughs> That's fascinating. What do you think, Aaron? Um, I think that I armor up a lot against the world. Uh, I think that my that writing uh, shows me that it's better to be open. It's better to, um, yeah, better to be open. Um, and so that's that's what I get from my processes to let my guards down, let my filters down, things things like that to, yeah, I think that that's basically it. Like I, I find that to get throughout a day, I have to create all these boundaries um, for various reasons. And my writing is the one place I can be wholly myself. You both are extremely busy and very generous people with a lot of professional and administrative commitments and skills in the arts. You've had a tremendous impact around our state that has reverberated across the country from teaching to running arts conferences and art departments. If you didn't have to work in arts administration ever, would you still be drawn to administrative leadership, whether that's your work with Story Knife, Aaron, or the the writers' conference, and then we'll turn it over to Cass <laughs> with all the, the work that you do. Um, I I think I I think I would be, but in a very different fashion. Mm -hmm. um, both both the writers' conference and Story Knife are fun for me because I get to interact with um, yeah. people who have the same um, passions and loves that I have, um, and that's the fun for me is to um, see somebody else lit up by what they're doing. And that's fun for me. Um, but if, if I, you know, in the perfect world, I would do that in a much smaller venue. Um, I, I really truly am an introvert. Like after the writer's conference, I have to like not talk to anyone for like three weeks to regain my, <laughs> to regain my, uh, my balance because it's so much effort and energy to um, be out there. And so um, I'm sad that the UAA MFA is going away because that was one of the, um, 
one of the kind of administrative ways that I felt I was really having an impact and building a relationship with another writer. You know, you spend, would spend all year being a mentor to a writer, another writer. Um, and that was such a rich experience, not just, I mean, probably I hope for them, but for me, um, I just, I loved that. And, and it allowed, um, it allowed me to feel like that relationship was both ways. And that's, so I, I love my administrative roles. Don't get me wrong. I feel incredibly blessed. Um, and I'm super excited about both of the projects, but it's a lot. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. And, uh, and it does take some of that energy that I would probably like more to spend on my own work. Mm-hmm. What do you think um, about that, Cass? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I retired from teaching at the university 20 years ago so that I could go to my studio and paint full time. And, uh, and that has been my focus for most of that time. I, I've written more books on Alaskan art and, uh, and, and uh, things of that sort. But when I, when I introduce myself to new audiences or, or in meetings where I don't know people, I always say I'm an, I'm an artist and museum curator and art historian, but mostly I'm the token artist on every board, commission, task force, fellowship panel in Alaska and the West. And I, I love that work. And I think one of the reasons I am as content alone all day in my studio is that there is a significant portion of my time that I'm interacting with other people. Uh, Over the years, I have flown to meetings uh, for various boards and commissions, at least monthly, um, all over the West, all over the country, especially all over Alaska. Um, Now I just do it by Zoom, which is a lot less fun, Um, uh, but also a lot less time consuming. Uh, So I, I, I love that work. I love um, being involved with other people. I love being on advisory boards like the Bunnell Board and the University of Alaska Museum Board. I love working with the Arts and Culture Foundation and with the State Arts Council. Um, I love chairing the Alaska Literary Awards jury every year. Um, and, you know, those things are meaningful to me in and of themselves. And they also, I think, are a large part of why I am so happy to be alone most of every day in my studio. So, so then, does the studio really help you balance those commitments in a sense? Is, is that sort of like the, the ballast for all that? Absolutely, yeah. And, and it's, it's particularly a refuge when all of those responsibilities pile up. As, as Aaron was saying, it's a lot. Um, I'm not very good at all at saying no. And every time somebody says to me, would you like to be on this board or that board? Would you like to be involved in this project or that project? It always sounds like fun to me. And I always think, oh, how much time can that be? And, and so I'm, I, I try not to show it, but I'm pretty constantly stressed and overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. 
So how do you, how do you decide what projects to take on in the end? I mean, how do you draw that line? Uh, I, I take on too many. Um, you know, I have, I have big shows coming up of my own work. I have a big collaborative project with a bunch of scientists at the university that I'm just beginning, and I have an ongoing commitment to uh, a lab on campus that works with um, with uh, the effect of climate change on the boreal forest. Um, <clears throat> I, I guess I say I say yes to almost everything, and then I just try to try to use all the rest of my time to um, uh, to be with Dorley and to be in my studio. And the, the other two things that make it possible for me, um, I've been reading to the same kindergarten class with the same kindergarten teacher every Wednesday morning for 30 years, ever since my son was in that kindergarten class. It's the most, it's the purest unalloyed joy of every week. And um, all through the spring, after the pandemic closed the schools, I, I've been doing it by Zoom, and I'm doing it again by Zoom this fall. This is my 30th year. Um, that's an incredible joy. And since I can't go see my now nine-year-old granddaughter in Snohomish, Washington, now for six months, when I had been right on track to see her every six weeks until she's 18 years old, which is what I told my son I'd try to do. Um, she and I do art projects together three mornings a week by FaceTime. And, and that's, a, that's also just an incredible joy. And, um, none of that comes, comes easily to me. Uh, I, I came to art late in life and so working with uh, a child on art is, uh, is, uh, is something difficult and challenging for me. So I, I spend as much time figuring out what I'm going to do with her as what my next painting is going to be. But it's, it's amazingly rewarding. Mm. Oh, that's just amazing. And so do you fit everything else around like your studio time structure or does that get squished by these other things? Mary Beth Holloman was, was, you know, asking, how do you find enough time to paint? And it seems like you protect it. There are a lot of hours in the day. I, I tend to um, do all the meetings and, and the other things um, that I schedule. And then I use almost all the rest of my time to paint. I'm, I'm, as I say, if, if, I, if I'm not in a meeting, I'm out here in my studio working. And, if, um, and at, by the end of the day, uh, Dorley and I have dinner and then I'm out here usually in the evening for two, three hours or more. So, uh, I, you know, just like everybody is at all productive, I burn the candle at both ends and um, crash every now and then. But um, uh, there, there are a lot of hours in the day if, you, if all you want to do is work. <laughs> and how many hours do you sleep at night usually? Oh, not as many as I should. I keep seeing all these articles about how bad it is for you not to get enough sleep. Um, I, I try to get in bed by midnight and I get up um, before seven. So. Thank you for all of that. You know, that's, that's a lot to think about. 
Erin, how do you how do you decide what projects to take on? How do you balance? Um, you know. Well, for a long time, I was like Cass. I just said yes to everything, <laughs> and then eventually, um, I think it was two years ago. Now, uh, I kind of had a little like I'm on my knees. I can't. I can't. And at that point, I had almost three full time jobs. Like I was working from seven in the morning until ten o'clock at night, and um, I went to a a um, presentation at the college that was Sue Mauger. She had been to an all women scientist cruise to Antarctica, and one of the things they did before the cruise was they decided what their values were, and I was like crap i gotta do that i gotta so she sent me the little cards that had all the value words on them and the whole process was to like figure out how you were truly making decisions like what values were in play because you know when you're making a decision that's against your values you feel it you feel resentful you feel angry you feel pressured um so i spent a couple months trying to figure out what my values were and then i sent this to asia last week so this will look familiar to her i made this little form <laughs> you can't read it but it just has 10 questions on it and it says to be applied before saying yes you have to say yes to at least four of these before you can say yes to the project um and there are things like does this foster my writing does this make me feel open and spacious does this have space for creativity? And it, and now I kind of try to do that. Like when I, when somebody else asked me to take something big on, something that's not going to be able to be done in one one sitting, um, I try to go through these questions to make sure that I'm actually making a decision coherent with my values, as opposed to. I just want them to like me, so I'll do whatever they need. You know. Um, and, and like Cass, I can get sucked into a hundred boards. Uh, you know, can you just read these 45 applications? Can you, you know, it, it can become so that there's no space for what I value, which is my openness, my creativity, my curiosity, my mindfulness of the world around me. So, that's how I've started making decisions. I still, I'm still doing poorly though with, um, there are only so many hours in a day, you know? Uh, I still think that I'm gonna be way more productive than I actually am. And um, so I still get into these like crazy weeks where my to-do list is, you know, 80 things, but um, I try to apply my values now. It's been, it makes it a little easier to say no, you know, because you know that you're protecting what you truly value as opposed to just doing something because you don't want to make someone else angry. Mm. Wow. Thank you. I'm busily trying to paste all those points into a chat window while you're talking and I'm not having much success, but I'll try to send them to people who are listening because I think that's an incredibly valuable tool. Well, as we just wind up this hour, I, I really want to say 
thank you to both of you. And I, I want to go out with um, the thought, the question, what are you, um, what are you looking forward to? And maybe you could start us out, Erin. Well, <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to this fall being over. Uh, I don't usually do that, but I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to the election being done and whatever's going to happen, happen. Mm -hmm. um, but like Kess, my favorite season is autumn and winter um, because I like the night sky. I like the, I like being able to curl up and uh, read a book and I am most creative in the darkness. So I am looking forward to actually getting that time that some other people have had to step back and process things and create again. Thank you so much for joining us, Aaron. It's really been delightful. And I always learned so much from you. Thank you. Cass, what are you looking forward to? I think I'm most looking forward to my next painting. Um, <laughs> you know, um, a, a very dear friend of mine that I talked to about important things asked me some years ago uh, if I believed in heaven. And I said, yeah, I believe in heaven. And uh, he said, um, he said, well, what do you think it will be like? And I sort of scratched my head and thought about that. And I said, finally, I said, well, you know, mostly I think when I get there, I'll be able to paint better. And so um, that's the, that, that for me is, is really what I want. I'd, I'd like to be able to, to make better paintings. I'd like to be able to, to make my next painting and to, to respond to the, to the world. And, um, and I, 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 I love all the work that I do on those boards. I love all the things that I do with my family, but, um, but I, I try to focus on, I try to focus on the next painting and I hope that it will make some small contribution to making life a little, a little richer, not just for me, but for others. Mm, beautiful. I just want to tell you again how grateful I am that you've joined us, both of you, and um, to all of our listeners, too. And um, I'd like to invite you back next week when we'll be talking with uh, Demi Macharis, Richard Perry, Nathan Schaefer, and Melissa Shaganoff about their um, Winter Moot comic project, The Shared Universe Proposition, which is speaking about indigenous futurism and values through the comic book form. And all of you would be wonderful people to join us because what they really want to do is hear back from others about the, that concept. And so as we move forward, know that your sharing, Aaron and Kess, you know, really helps sustain the rest of us, um, some of whom are very isolated. And it's just a really important um, proposition in this podcast to help us be strengthened through our connections. Asia, thank you for doing this. Thank you for all that you do. Uh, you, you responded more quickly to the pandemic and to the kind of isolation we were all feeling than any arts leader that I know. And, and you've really set a standard. It's, we you inspire me, both of you, all of you here today. So I look forward to getting um, 
in the room with you next week. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Take you. Care.